When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Working Overtime, the advice forward Sunday brunch to Working's three-course tasting menu. I'm Isaac Butler. And I'm Karen Hahn. Hey, Karen, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, the week that we're recording this is the first week of the new semester mm. uh, where I teach. And so I, I do feel a little bit hit by a truck, but <laughs> just trying to keep going. Karen, you may remember, because I think you were the co-host that week, that a couple weeks ago, I begged listeners to help me procrastinate by sending us letters for me to read. And one of our listeners, this woman, Emily, was kind enough to aid me in the near blowing of a deadline <laughs> by sending a wonderful email filled with recent cultural experiences she had, some thoughts about the show and everything, but she also needed some advice. So uh, here is our working overtime producer, Kevin Bendis with a read of listener Emily's advice question. I have the most wonderful problem in the world, and I don't know what to do. Recently, I received a substantial grant to support my writing over the coming year. Because I live cheaply in a cheap place to live, the grant will enable me to do, more or less, whatever I want through the end of the year. I have never had this kind of opportunity before, and I'm both thrilled and terrified by it. I'm keenly aware that using this time to best advantage could break my career wide open. And while I very much want to rest and regenerate, I also know I need to set some goals and timelines so I actually accomplish something. As it happens, I've never really established goals or timelines for myself before, so I'd appreciate any advice along those lines, as well as any tips on how to best take advantage of a gift like this one. Karen, just want to say... I love it when people have this kind of problem. They've <laughs> succeeded to the degree where they have to learn how to do new things. So mm -hmm. congratulations, Emily. Thank you so much for writing us. I know you've had the experience of externally imposed deadlines on, on big projects like your wonderful book, Bong Joon-ho, Dissident Cinema, or even <laughs> the daily deadlines of writing for Polygon and Slate. But now you're exploring writing for TV. Uh, uh, you're entering a new phase where deadlines might need to be more self-imposed before a show gets greenlit or a pilot gets mm -hmm. made or whatever. So uh, what's that been like for you? It's been an interesting experience. Like making deadlines is definitely necessary, at least for me. <laughs> and to a certain extent, the more like projects you can take out and the more quickly you can do that, the more people will have you in mind for jobs, the more likely you'll be to have something picked up. It's just kind of a numbers game in that respect. Mm -hmm. It's the same as any job, I think, in that way where like you have to do work to get work and deadlines are just a part of that. And are you someone who needs deadlines, even if they're just totally arbitrary mm -hmm. ones that you yourself set in order to get work done? Yeah, I guess technically speaking, I don't need them, but I vastly prefer having them, even if they are arbitrary, as you say. Sometimes the deadlines that I set for myself change because I feel especially inspired about one project over another, or because our manager tells us he has a better feeling about one over the other. But in general, knowing that I'll have, for instance, like 10 pages done by X date, I'll finish writing up a one sheet by Wednesday, something like that will help keep me in line for the future. Mm -hmm. 
And do you and Brian like give each other deadlines or you guys like project managing your writing process together or is it sort of more chaotic than that? Sort of where we're like, oh, it would be great to have this done by the end of the week. Like we usually think about stuff like in smaller timelines, I guess. That's fascinating. I don't have a writing partner, so I'm Mm -hmm. very fascinated by how (laughs) partnerships work. Well, we'll be back with more about deadlines, goals and timelines after this. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hey there, listeners. Is there a particular creative struggle you'd like to hear us tackle? Well, let us know by emailing us at workingatslate.com or even better, call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK. I still have deadlines I would like to procrastinate on, get right up next to blowing so that, you know, I could get the energy going and then meet them. So, so please help me out. Send us some emails. All right. Now back to our show. I'll be honest, Karen, I have incredible trouble being creative without a deadline. (laughs) I even struggle these days to like write on spec. You know what I mean? Like if it's not, if there's not a deadline and a payday coming, I have a lot of trouble doing it. Whereas in graduate school, that was like all you did, right? You just wrote all the Mm -hmm. time. You try to develop a daily writing practice or whatever. So I'm, I'm envious of where Emily is coming from. So how does a writer like me or like Emily rediscover the joy of making work for its own sake 
without necessarily a set goal. Yeah, writing on spec can be really painful. But also, in fairness to you, I feel like Emily is technically not writing on spec in so much as the grant that she received is paying for the time for her to write whatever she wants rather than her trying to set aside time to write with nothing in the bank. That said, I still think this is a really tricky question. It's easiest to work without a set goal if you have an idea that you're really excited about, but that's not necessarily something that you can control. Um, maybe it'd be helpful to try collaborating with someone else and then you'll be energized by the thought of hanging out with them while doing work rather than just work and sort of help each other in that way. And that can just be like co-working where you just work in Mm -hmm. the same space on your separate respective projects for a while or working with that someone like on a project together, like which can be a lot of fun. In fact, I did that recently. We had an episode, you know, a couple weeks ago where Mm -hmm. I actually wrote that episode in a cafe sitting across from a friend. (laughs) She had just dropped her kid off at pottery class and was like, I have 90 minutes. Let's be each other's Mm -hmm. accountability buddy and uh, go to a coffee shop (laughs) and work. And even though we were both extroverts, we managed to pull it off. I guess the converse of what you're saying might be true too, though, right? Like sometimes you just have to trick yourself Mm -hmm. into behaving like someone has bought the piece and is going to publish it, or you already have an advance or, you know, the painting needs to be hung in an imaginary gallery or whatever it is. Like maybe one place Emily could start is to just ask herself, what do I want to have accomplished by the end of this grant period? And then work backwards from there. It's definitely easier if you can at least tell yourself you think the thing you're working on will be something that will get people frothing at the mouth. And yeah, I think what you've suggested is a really good idea. Like, think about what larger goal you want to accomplish, and then you have a better idea of what smaller goals you need to set within that time frame to really make it happen. Like, I think we've talked about this before in terms of, like, maybe even just, like, splitting up your to-do list mm-hmm. or just, like, making what you want to do actually feel achievable rather than some pie-in-the-sky idea that's like, oh, like, how am I going to get all that work? done yeah when your to-do list says draft a novel right that's really that's really scary like, or, no. you know <laughs> yeah exactly you know uh the writer dennis johnson before mm-hmm. he died came to my graduate school at the university of minnesota for a weekend he gave a talk he you know hung out with the grad students there was a party in his honor all sorts of stuff like that so i got to spend a couple days around him and dennis johnson is you know he's a legend he was an amazing amazing writer and one of the graduate students asked him you know what gets you going? Like, where do the ideas come from? How do you sit down and write? You know, do you write every day? And he sort of, you know, looked around. He was an odd guy. And he said, uh, I can't write unless I'm convinced the thing I'm writing will win me the Pulitzer Prize. So I I tell myself wow. that it is the greatest piece of writing of all time wow. and will win me a Pulitzer and a National Book Award. And that's his version of the, like, getting people frothing at the mouth. He just has to convince himself of that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So when you're working on a project, how detailed are the plans you make? Are you, you know, putting a thing in your iCal that says <laughs> January 3rd outline first season? Are you more flying by the seat of your pants? What's what's going on? I will say, like, I do set goals for myself, but I don't put them in my iCal, which, like, maybe I should do. But usually, like, it's just, like, a spoken agreement between myself and my writing partner where we're like, we'll try to get this done this week. I tend to like to map things out week by week. Like, for example, I'll say, like, this week I'll finish making the pitch document for this project. Mm -hmm. If it's a bigger thing than that, like, for example, like a full script, I'll give myself a number of pages that I ideally like to hit by the end of the week. Sometimes I will deliberately give myself a small number that I know that that I can exceed. And that way I'll feel a little more accomplished and more excited to keep going the next week. Mm, That's great. That's great. 
And listeners, because I planned this episode out, (laughs) we have an ad break right here. Don't go away. We have more to come after this. Hey, everyone, I just wanted to remind you that if you enjoy working overtime, please subscribe to Working so that you never miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love you to rate or review the show. It really actually helps new listeners find us and it helps us grow our audience. If Overcast is your app of choice, it's my app of choice. Please hit the star to recommend this episode to others. Okay, let's return to this week's Working Overtime. Karen, one thing I think that can be really scary about making a plan, setting Mm -hmm. goals, imposing all that on yourself is, of course, you might not succeed in doing it. Mm -hmm. And you can forget in the midst of that, that you're the one who put those expectations on yourself and those expectations might even be unreasonable. (laughs) How do you know that your goals are reasonable and you're not just setting yourself up, you know, the future you to be angry at the past you? I think it's easiest to know how much you can accomplish within a given time frame by thinking about your past work. How quickly did you get work done then? And once you have a sort of idea of what you've done in the past, you can try to map things out for your new project with that in mind. Mm. And again, maybe try setting secondary goals. Like here's what I really need to get done this week. And here's what it'd be nice to get done this week. That way, if you fall short of that second goal, then you have at least achieved that first actually necessary thing and have a sort of second thing to work towards. That's so good. I myself am going to start doing that because... (laughs) Wow. As you might have guessed from my question, I am someone who sets unreasonable goals for myself. Uh, For example... I wanted to have uh, I wanted to have completed the book proposal for my next book in mm. time to shop it around this past fall. You know what? That was just unreasonable for me to have expected. I was teaching. I was doing this podcast. I had big writing things that I was doing for other people, and I would have just had to kill myself to get it done on top of everything else. Yeah. And in October, I just finally admitted defeat, and I sheepishly <laughs> emailed my agent to say, you know, I wanted to get this done this fall. It's probably not going to happen. I don't think I can start writing it until January. Can I get it to you by the end of that month? And she just wrote me to say, yeah, that's not a big deal. You know, once Thanksgiving rolls around, no one's buying books on proposal. Anyway, it's the holidays. Don't worry about it. And what I realized was that I don't know that I had even told her I was going to have it ready by the fall. This was entirely me feeling guilty (laughs) and anxious about letting myself down or whatever. And she was uh, very good about comforting me about that and being like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Just get it to me in January. And you know what? I emailed it to her yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, that sounds like the best possible outcome for a situation like that, right? And to that end, I feel like it's useful to remember that you're never really working in a total vacuum. There are so many external factors that will affect when your project gets sold or when people will most want to look at it or like if your editor is even in the office. So to echo an earlier working overtime episode, remember to be kind to yourself. It's usually not going to be the end of the world if you miss a deadline. Just like make sure you're setting manageable goals for yourself. But it's okay if you don't manage it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, one thing that I think to combine two things you've said earlier is when it's a more social process, you know, like I'm getting this proposal to my agent, not the publishing house. Do you know what I mean? You're getting a draft of something to your writing partner, not Netflix. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually have to be perfect. It has to be good enough for that person to give you feedback on how to make it better. You know, it's, it it is important to remember that a draft of something really is a draft and Mm -hmm. there can be freedom in there. 
It also sounds from this email like Emily may not know exactly how she wants to use this time or, or what she actually even wants to make over the course of this drafting period. And so I do want to, you know, encourage her, as she said in the email, to use some time to rest, to explore, to ideate, to grow. Have you had much downtime like that? Do you? <laughs> what? What? How do you create those circumstances so that the the ideas come to you and and test those ideas to see if they're big enough to be like the pilot of a TV show or whatever? It's tough because I don't feel like I've really had that much downtime. Mm. Like we've given a lot of advice on this show on how to recharge and come up with ideas, but ultimately it isn't really up to you. Like it's kind of a game of chance. Like you can go take a walk, you can watch a movie you've never seen before, you can go to a museum, and sometimes you'll feel inspired by that experience, but sometimes you just have to sit down and bang out something that you don't necessarily love. Um, that said, I think you'll usually know from the jump once you start like writing down your actual idea how sustainable it is or what form will best befit it. If in the process of flushing it out, you realize that it's a bigger or smaller thing than you'd initially envisioned, it's not that big of a deal to change its shape because it's still hopefully like just a you idea and not something that you're you've already pitched or has been accepted somewhere. But even then, like just talk to your editor about it and probably you can work something out. Yeah, editors are are human beings. I mean, one other thing that strikes me here when you mention, you know, sometimes you just got to sit down and bang it out, even if you're not feeling inspired. You know, that's that's part of life as a creative person. Mm-hmm. Is that, of course, a lot of what you're doing in that initial work is just laying the groundwork for revision. So much of the work, including of the creative work, is actually in taking a draft of something, whether it's a painting, a rough cut of a film, a first draft of an essay or a novel or whatever, and you know, responding to that thing you created in order to make it an even better and truer version of itself. Mm-hmm. That is often where the rubber hits the road with creativity, actually. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, you can just sort of actually not sweat that first draft that much or not worry about the quality of the idea and just get something out so that you can then respond to it. Yeah, like it's tough both ways. Like I think I've talked about on the show before where like I'm not somebody who likes to show anybody anything if I don't think it's really good already. And so in that respect, like sometimes a first draft can be a little intimidating. But at the same time, like I think this is the important part of kind of maybe a bigger point to make about the question that we're addressing right now, where it's like, if you have the time to be able to sort of map out what you're doing, make sure that you give yourself a window to look over the work that you've already done and do revisions before you show it to somebody else. If you are like me and are concerned about that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Well, Emily, this sounds like a really exciting opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Please keep in touch with us and let us know how it's going. We really are rooting for you in your, your grant period year where you get to just kind of explore your creativity. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like this show, do not forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions you'd like us to address, guests you'd like to have on, things you'd like to rant about, your own creativity you want to discuss, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. 
big thanks to Kevin Bendis, who produces Working Overtime and did such a wonderful job reading Emily's letter, and to our series producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working, and in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work. to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering so you can plan with confidence free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected and 24 7 customer support means you can travel worry free Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.